Welcome to episode 155 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. It's like a switch has flipped inside me. Since running with my wife a couple of weeks ago, I'm feeling like anything is possible. I came back from our vacation jet lagged and in no shape to get back to my usual three times per week gym routine. That was how I felt very late Monday night into Tuesday. Wednesday arrived and despite still being a bit tired, I got my gym clothes on and headed out the door. Over the next seven days, I went back every day. I can't think of another time in my life that I did cardio seven days in a row. And I wasn't satisfied with my pace anymore. I've been fairly steadily keeping at six and a half, seven miles an hour on an elliptical, finishing uh, 3.1 or so miles in 30 minutes and feeling pretty good about the whole thing. I decided to push myself to keep my pace above seven miles per hour. And when I realized I could do that, I pushed myself to keep my pace above eight miles per hour. Suddenly, I was setting new records every morning for how many miles I went in 30 minutes. 3.63 miles became 3.74 miles, and then I wondered, could I finish four miles in 30 minutes? That felt like a bizarre question, but I had to admit it was a possibility. The next morning, I reached 3.9 miles in 30 minutes, which is really close. Then, on day seven, I reached 4.9 zero eight miles in 30 minutes, averaging seven minutes, 21 seconds per mile, which is down from my old steady pace of about nine minutes, 40 seconds per mile. This isn't the end of the story by any means. In some ways, it's just the beginning. I'm replacing old long held beliefs about what my body can do. I'm no longer limiting my potential. Your challenge for this week. What can you do for 30 minutes a day, at least three days a week to build your capacity for greater things? Is it writing that book you've been talking about for years? Is it setting up the pilot of a new program you've been wanting to launch? Or like me, is it a physical challenge to help you take care of your health? Try this and let me know how it goes. Now onto this week's show. Today's guest understands the importance of referrals and networking. His company, Referral Coach International helps people and businesses who want to acquire more clients and customers through word of mouth, referrals, and personal introduction. His goal is to help people increase their revenue without having to increase their marketing expenses. After building and selling two successful businesses, he has turned his attention to relationship marketing strategies as a founding member of the Million Dollar Speakers Group. He's the author of three books, Get More Referrals Now, Don't Keep Me a Secret, and Beyond Referrals, and he's working on his fourth book called Radical Relevance. When he's not busy at work, he enjoys adventure, and his trek through the Himalayas reached the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro and has camped in the Arctic Circle. Wow. Please join me in welcoming Bill Cates. Burr, you just gave me a shiver uh, remembering the Arctic Circle. <laughs> well, welcome, Bill. Well, thank you. I appreciate it, Robbie. Yeah, well, as you're joining us from your office in Annapolis, Maryland, and as you know, this is a show about building strong networks, and the context of that conversation is leadership. So, Bill, tell me, how do you define leadership, and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? 
Yeah, I, I think leadership, uh, it, the way I see it, a couple of things. Number one, I think it means serving. Um, a lot of people see leadership as more self-serving for themselves, ego. Uh, I don't really see it that way. I see it uh, taking a role in people's lives where we can take whatever experience we've had or knowledge that we have but and serve people through that. And I also know that um, there's, the, you know, the, the, the other, and not the antithesis, but uh, incongruent with that is, is followership, right? If we got to know when, when to lead, when to uh, influence, when to have a vision and a mission and share that with people and when to, to fall back and not be. I, I, I used to think I was a, a leader until I realized I was just a control freak. And I mistook leadership with control, and it really is two different things. And so I've learned to be a better follower in, in, my, uh, in my years. And I also know that uh, you're probably getting more than you asked for in this, but I also know that we, when we have other leaders in our life, it's our job, if we're following in that particular case, to, to not let the leader fail, Right. They don't want us to fail, but we don't want them to fail as a leader either. It's our job to support them. And so it really is that symbiotic relationship between leader and follower. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. I actually really like that you led with the idea of it being around service and providing, providing the support, adding value, and that there's a time and place when leadership is sometimes about stepping back to allow others the opportunity to take on leadership right? and then following them. And, I, and you underscored this idea that followers want their leaders to succeed, right? And of course they do, but being explicit about it is, a, is really important because the true, the inverse, right? The leaders want everyone that they're working, that's working with them uh, to, to succeed. So it, that, that is a great relationship. When you, were, when you were little, when you were first thinking about this, you know, <laughs> Well, I probably wasn't thinking about when I was little, but yeah. Uh, well, well, what did what did leadership even start to mean to you? I mean, did you see, did you have people in in your life that you admired, that you looked up to, that that saw maybe that potential in you? Were you were, the, were you the kid that ran for student government, or were you the kid who like organized people, or were you kind of quiet? Like, no, I did. I did a fair amount of organizing. I didn't run for student government for whatever reason. I don't know. But I would organize. So, okay, ready for my first uh, foray into leadership. I was in the eighth grade, uh, and or maybe this was control. I don't know what this was. But uh, I, I ne I'll never forget organizing the entire class to stay out in the hall until the late bell rang. And then we all marched in late together. And so that was my first attempt at corralling and leading a group. <laughs> and naturally, I got into a lot of trouble for doing that. Um, so I'm also very playful in, in what I do, but that's part of it. But I mean, I had a band in high school and I was the leader of the band and, you know, uh, yeah, I guess I had a natural, it kind of rose to the top, I guess, in some form. I think leadership comes from confidence, but again, there is that fine line with control. I think, you know, if we try to control things, that actually comes from a place of insecurity, right? True leadership and being able to back off and know when to, you know, nudge and, and influence and when not to, that, that's, that comes from a place of confidence and there is a difference. Yeah. Did that, as you continued in your career, were you um, presented with opportunities to step up or did you see them and sort of feel drawn? Like how did you end up 
stepping into leadership throughout time. And I know at the time, maybe it wasn't like the definition of leadership you're using now. Maybe it was a little more control, but you had a willingness. You had a willingness and you said a confidence to do this. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I remember interviewing and getting a job as the, uh, the resident assistant at the University of Maryland in the dorms. So that was uh, maybe my first real official leadership position of any where other people entrusted me to at least a position of responsibility, if not leadership. Um, and then uh, I worked for American Airlines for a number of years in customer service. And uh, I became a trainer. I trained folks. I also was a manager. for. I didn't like being a manager because in that particular case, I didn't know why I didn't like it at the time. Um, reflecting back, now I know it was all about position power. Everything there was all about the position and not really creating the relationships and the importance of that. It really was position, power, leadership, and it didn't feel right to me. And so I didn't last very long in that role. Um, but I guess I always hangered to own my own business and lead my own business. So that's really, uh, you know, what I've been doing for the last 40 years uh, is kind of leading in that way. Yeah. And so you, uh, you built and sold two successful businesses. Mm-hmm. And I imagine through that time is where you started to craft this idea around referrals. Were those referral-based businesses that you were running? Uh, not, not a whole lot, although to a degree. Uh, it's interesting. They were book publishing businesses. And, um, but I, I, you know, I still networked. I still uh, valued the relationships that I formed to allow me to accomplish what I needed to accomplish. But I have to say, um, it really wasn't until after I sold the second business and a buddy of mine, uh, Frank Gingo is his name, and he said, Bill, you should be a professional speaker. You'd be really good at it. And I go, great, what's that? I, you know, I'd never really seen speakers and that whole idea of speaking and coaching and training to, you know, outside the corporate environment was foreign to me. And, and I, so I, I dug into it and looked at it, and it was a perfect storm for me because I liked entertaining uh, I'm an old drummer in a rock and roll band. Uh, I like learning. I'm a lifelong learner like you are. And and so now I have a job where the way I lead, if you will, is through learning and implementing and then sharing what I've learned with other people. Uh, healthy ego, I think, involved in that. And um, I, I get to learn every day and I get to share it and people seem to like the way I, I explain things. So uh, it really wasn't until I formed this new business that I really got immersed in informing study groups and being parts of associations that could help me further my business and et cetera, et cetera. It sounds like a lot of what you probably are now teaching others you were applying in those first few years as you were kind of making that shift. No question. I, here's one thing I learned. If you're experiencing a problem in business or anywhere in life, but business for this purpose, darn good chance somebody else has experienced that problem and they've found the answer, right? And so part of what I do is when I have challenges, I like to find out who knows who, who knows who, who's had that challenge and they found an answer and how can I learn from that? Yeah. We don't have to try to figure it out in a vacuum. Well, one of the things I tell my clients all the time is that there is, there's no business challenge that can't be met through relationships. You know, and that's basically what you're describing is that there's always somebody who knows more or can help you or ask the right question or reflect back or hold of the mirror, you know, so that you could get the answers that you need. Um, and yet you stepped into a, a space where you were getting support. I mean, when I left my 
my day job, I immediately joined the National Speakers Association because I had been part of an association for my previous work. I thought, well, why would I wait a decade and then join? Like, I should join now and accelerate as fast as I can over the next 10 years. And it's been tremendous just to see that as you are in a space with people who are like, both like-minded, striving for success, and it sounds like you, you sought out similar spaces as you were making that shift. Well, yeah, and I've been a member of the National Speakers Association for 25 years, and uh, I showed up as, as, as kind of a wannabe, as we say affectionately, and I was a sponge for everything I could possibly learn, and I've learned a lot. Now I give back to, you know, I, people ask for my time. I give them some of my time because I've had so many people give me their time. Uh, over the years, uh, on the board of directors now, and that's that's a whole another set of leadership lessons <laughs> and relationship lessons. Being on a board, yeah. So as you were uh, deciding on topics, like how did you stumble upon referrals and relationship yeah. building? I mean, it's yeah. so core, right, to the work, and yet people don't put as much attention. There's only a handful of people I can think of that are making that the focus of their work. And most everybody needs to learn more about it. It's true. And, and um, a lot of people see referrals as kind of uh, icing on the cake, if you will. It's like it's, mm-hmm. it is a barometer of doing a good job. There's no question that when you do a good job for people, you know, everyone should be getting unsolicited referrals and introductions. Uh, it's a barometer of good relationships. It's a barometer of people trusting us and the value that we bring and wanting to share our value with others. Uh, one of the mistakes I've seen, though, is that uh, people think if they just serve the heck out of their clients or customers, they'll get, you know, all the referrals they need and you will get some and that counts, but it, they're not always the quantity you want and quite often not the quality you want. So for instance, I just got off the phone with a, one of my coaching clients and one of his goals in working together is not quantity of new people uh, that he can serve. It's, it's the right quality for his purposes. And to be actually to be more selective and to say no to some opportunities. Um, and so to be more purposeful and, and here's what, here's what I know about the referral process that I've been teaching is that what marketing strategy can you name that will allow you to increase your revenue without increasing your marketing budget? Right. Word of, word of mouth is the only thing. Word of mouth, referrals, yeah. introductions, yeah. that whole relationship marketing, if you will, um, side of things. And so what we don't want to do is just be passive and hope that they'll come to us. We want to be purposeful and, and, and leverage in a good way, leverage those relationships and ask for what we want and, and ask for introductions to other people, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. So what made you decide to settle on this as your topic? Was it oh, something yeah. you were experiencing? Uh, actually, what happened is, um, and and I w- my business was facing a huge challenge. Actually, this new fledgling speaking business of mine, I was doing okay. I uh, had created a bit of a reputation for myself in the printing industry because I sold a book publishing company. I knew the printing industry, and I was kind of a sales speaker in that arena. But it really wasn't going where I wanted to go. They. These are low-margin businesses. Um, they don't have a lot of money to invest in the work I, I could help them with. And so I was actually uh, driving to Philadelphia from my home in Maryland to attend uh, uh, a speaking skills course, not to learn how to speak better, although we can always keep getting better. It was actually monitor and maybe be a franchise with this person. 
Um, but on the way up, I was listening to a guy in the life insurance business talk about referrals. And I, in the back of my head, I wanted to write a book. I wanted to become more of a specialist and not just a generalist in sales. And, you know, by the time I got, to, I was, I got excited about what he was saying and I was thinking, but I'd say it this way and I do it this way and here's what I do. And so during this course, I decided to just experiment with that material. So I get up in front of this group and present. It turns out they were salespeople, most of them. And so they liked what I was saying about referrals, that I was kind of learning from this other guy and then putting my, my stamp on it. And that's really within about a month's time. That's when I realized I wanted to focus on that. I wanted to write a book on that. And it was really kind of a culmination of a couple of things coming together. Uh, so the, the lesson I, ha- I got from that and that I, I always share with other people is sometimes we don't have the vision of what we want. We know we want the vision. We want a clear sense of where we're headed. And sometimes we don't know. We're a little confused, whatever. So we just keep acting, looking for that vision to come. Right. And that's what happened to me. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah. So that's, that's, well, and, and yeah, go it's ahead. Great intuition. I mean, I think that it's, it's, it's also being open. Um, you know, you're, you're more likely to come across serendipity if you know what we're looking for. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yep. so, you know, you're, you know, you're looking for it. Um, and that you were able to test it. So today we would call that a minimally viable, you know, product. You know, you getting up there and being like, okay, let me just try out some material, not creating a whole course and putting out a ton of effort and content and, you know, but you're just like, what do you guys think? And they're like, ah, this is great, you know, and then building it from there. I mean, involving the people that you want to serve as you're developing the material. It's a lot of great instincts that today we're trying to get people to do because too many people go into the like, you know, their, their basement studio space and like draw out this amazing business plan. And then they try to sell it to some market that doesn't even know they exist. And yeah, I, I mean, I, there's, yeah, there's so much I could say about that, but I'll tell you in terms of the book, cause this fits right into the, the what you talk about and what you encourage people to do. Um, it took me a year to write this book. And it took me a year because I kept teaching what I learned and what I thought. And then other people would come up to me and they'd share what they did and I'd get feedback. And so by, by taking a whole year to teach and learn and teach and share and da, 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 uh, it, it became a better book because of that. So really, if I think about it, it's, it, a lot of people helped me make it a better book. It was a, a better book built by the relationships that I forged along the way in the actual writing of the book. Um, and you know, the book I'm writing now, Radical Relevance, a lot of it's about how we talk about our value. And the one thing that I, I teach is, and, and is we can write up what we believe our value to be. We can write up the words we want to use to convey our, our value, et cetera, but we should never do anything marketing related, uh, without talking to our clients or customers or prospective clients or customers. You know, sometimes we'll talk to our colleagues. And that's good. That's valuable. But it's not the same as talking to someone who actually might engage in the purchase of what you're offering. And so saying, I'm going to do this with my book. I do it with every product. I don't yeah. do anything in a vacuum. Yeah, um, that's so great. And I think too many people also make the mistake of asking people who are definitely not their ideal client <laughs> for feedback, you know, asking a trusted friend or a family member or a member of their like peer mastermind or something, and then relying heavily on that input 
but it's not your client. It's not the people who are going to buy from you. So it's not, you know, it's like testing these things along the way. So you wrote, uh, get more referrals and then, uh, get more referrals now. And then the next book, I love this title. It's like one of my favorite titles I've ever heard. Don't keep me a secret. So clearly there was more to be talked about. How many years in between these books? Was this sort of like an evolution? Uh, a couple of years. And I'll tell you how I got that title, by the way, because it goes back to what I was just saying. I'll never forget. I was in Cleveland. I was doing a, a workshop seminar or something uh, uh, with a group. Guy came up to me afterwards. His name is Mitch. I forgot his last name, but he says, you know, I'll tell you what I do. And I go, okay, tell me. He says, well, when you know my clients express satisfaction with the work I do, I just tell them not to keep me a secret. And I go, brilliant, you know? And so, I mean, he didn't make up the term. I didn't make up the term, but it's something I've been teaching for years and people love it because it's an easy thing to say. It's not going to hurt a relationship. Hey, please, Bobby, don't keep me a secret out there. Oh, okay, sure. Right. And so what happened, (laughs) the reason that book came out actually, quite frankly, is because I had a two book deal with McGraw Hill and I I owed him another book. Uh, But I've been writing a blog long before it was ever called a blog. Uh, for probably, I don't know, 16, 17 years. And so that book was really just all the other things I had written since the, the first book came out. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, so and then another book came out a few years after that. So Yeah, so uh, tell me, what do you find most rewarding about the work you're doing today? Yeah, I'll tell you my, uh, you know, the, the, the word superpower is being bandied about a lot these days, uh, right? Because I guess Marvel Comics and DC Comics and whatnot, uh, sometimes people call it your unique ability. Uh, I think my unique ability or one of my talents, I guess, is I have an ability to learn and synthesize and explain. And so I like that. I like, uh, I like my brain hurting, trying to get my head around some concepts and then figure out a way to write that and explain it to people in a way that they get it. Uh, be it with a story, a metaphor, a list, a, you know, five steps to do this, whatever it is. I, I, I feel like I'm pretty good at that. And, and people tell me I'm pretty good at it. And so, and, and I, there's a lot of joy for me in doing that, believe it or not. Uh, and so that's probably uh, my, the best use of my time is, is, is the creation of my intellectual property. I'm a pretty good marketer. I'm a okay salesperson. I'm a decent speaker. Uh, but when it comes to the development of the content, I think that's what I do the best. And part of that's video. I love doing video. Uh, I got a studio in my office. I pop in all the time and doing video. And that's really just an extension of this effort to convey you know, information to folks that, that'll be useful. So I imagine like it has to evolve quite a bit to go from, uh, you know, as you... Um, sort of politely call the want, the wannabe speaker <laughs> who show up so eager as a sponge right. and to then reach the point where you are uh, helping found the, the million dollar speakers group. Mm-hmm. Uh, clearly you've developed a team around you. You're clear on what's your piece to work on. Um, what was the challenge though? Like a, as you're thinking about that, that transition over time, mm-hmm. what was challenging that you had to like overcome you know, was it a thing you had to learn? Was it mindset? Like, what was the thing that helped? That, like, well, you're like, once I got past that, I'm like, now I'm good. Yeah. So, well, mindset is always at play, right? We know that. Um, one of my mentors, when I was young, taught me about the power of, of belief. And essentially, and I'm not talking about a religious sense. I'm talking about, he said to me, he said, Billy Cates, that's what they used to call me when I was younger, Billy. 
you know, you're going to hit challenges from time to time. And, you know, a small business owner, his or her inclination usually is to, is a tactical answer. Sometimes they'll look at their strategies and then go to tactics. Sometimes they just go to tactics. But he says, what you really need to do first is go to what your beliefs. What do you believe about the situation? What do you believe about your business? What do you believe about yourself, about other people? All of that. And usually there's some mistaken or limiting beliefs in there that are keeping you back. And uh, so whenever I hit a plateau on my own business, uh, I usually remember what Mr. Wilkes said to me and I go, all right, what am I believing about me? You know, what, what's going on here that's not allowing me to access my full self and, and, and you know, relationships, et cetera. And it doesn't mean that I don't change strategies and tactics. Of course I do. But I have to look at the belief system first. And sometimes we, you know, there's this thing in psychology called cognitive dissonance. We may set a goal. We may have a vision. We have a vision board of all the things we want to accomplish and have in life, right? But if we don't really truly believe we can create that, then the brain will just, well, it just won't even go there. It, 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 the brain keeps us safe. And if there's dissonance there, it won't even go there. So we have to examine that. So that's a, that's a big part of what yeah. it was. Um, and then I always had a, I had a, one of my limiting beliefs was that to be more successful, to make more money, to have a more uh, productive business, um, it, it, it would create more complication. In other words, my life would get more complicated. And, and I would have to hire all these people and I didn't want to hire a lot of people and I didn't want to come. So that was, but that was a, that was a mistaken belief because it doesn't have to be complicated necessarily. And I wanted to scale my business. Now, I, luckily enough, I figured it out and I've scaled my business using licensing and licensing my intellectual property to large corporations, uh, which I call printing money legally because it's really, really profitable to do that. Um, and so I've been able to run a million dollar business with a couple of employees. Um, you know, so, you know, some people run a million dollar business, but they've got 50 employees uh, and some do it with a couple. And so the profitability is quite a bit different. Yeah. Wow. I mean, all those things are great. I, when you're talking about limiting beliefs, I, I uh, wrote about this recently. I actually shared an earlier email out on LinkedIn. I've been getting into the habit of sharing old email newsletters on LinkedIn. Cause it's mm -hmm. like, people are like, these are good. No one else is seeing them. <laughs> right. but my subject line was, what is stopping you from sharing your brilliance with the world? Because mm. that was a question I asked a colleague uh, when she was struggling and everyone was giving her advice. You know, do this, just do this, just do this. And so we afterwards got to talk and I said, you're really smart and savvy and you've done, you've tripled your business in three years. Like, okay, if you, if you, needed to do something, you would just do it. Like, why aren't you doing it? You know? And then she had a moment and actually figured it out, realized what was going on. And I think like, I've now started to think about that question more when I work with clients because it, the tactics doesn't matter, right? If your brain doesn't think you can achieve it, you just self-sabotage kind of comes to play. It's true. But, it, but your belief in her is what made a difference for her, right? Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's the power of the relationship that you talk about. And sometimes we don't believe in ourselves, but if we have someone that we care about and we trust, believe in us, sometimes that'll tip us over. Right. Cause when I first got in this business, I, the first thing I did, a guy hired me to do sales training. So I was, I was going to go out and sell sales training and deliver sales training. And I was, I was scared of that. I wasn't sure if I was up to it. I had a buddy of mine. I'll never forget. John Hurley said to me and, 
He says, you know, Bill, you'll be good at this. This is something you'll be good at. And it's like, I just needed to hear that. And when I heard that, I go, okay, you know? So that's the gift we give to people sometimes, right? It's just our belief in them. And then that switch flips from one side to the other. Uh, doesn't always flip on our own, right? Yeah. We need someone else to reach in there and flip it for us and <laughs> give us a little metaphorical slap upside the head and say, you can look at this a different way. And okay, okay, I'm open to it. And then wham, that aha happens, right? So it's good. That's great. So creating a space for that, that aha moment to happen. Yes, sir. So at, as we're thinking about relationships, it's been a through line of this conversation, right? So, you know, you've got your closest sort of circle of, of confidants and supporters that are really holding you. And then as you think about your second and third layers out from that, the people you meet annually at a conference, someone you worked with 5, 10, 20 years ago, but you have no reason to be working with them now, how do you nurture and sustain those kinds of relationships so that when the moment's right, they're still part of your larger network? Sure. What are your thoughts or philosophies, practices? Yeah, well, the, you know, the good news, of course, is one thing that this digital world of ours and the internet, et cetera, has it's made it easier for that, right? Um, so part of being part of Facebook groups and, and, and those sorts of things, sometimes you, you get nudged when you didn't expect to get nudged because you see somebody's birthdays coming up or they make a post and and that sort of stuff. And so uh, it, it's, it's, it's become a little easier. But I, I'll tell you, I have one little habit that I try to nurture and keep it going is when I think of someone, I try to act on it. So I just, uh, just the other day, a couple of days ago, I guess, uh, I remembered a guy that I used to do a lot of business with when I was working for the printing industry, a guy, Ron, based in Atlanta. And I go, I wonder what Ron's up to, you know? So I shot him. Uh, I couldn't find his email, but I found him on LinkedIn and I reconnected with LinkedIn, right? So it's so the, 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 the strategy or the tactic, if you will, is think about someone, do something about it, right? Text them, call them, leave a message, email, something. And so I know that kind of sounds kind of haphazard, and I guess it is in a way, but uh, it's very purposeful. And so that's that's been a big part of it. Um, and then every now and then I will just like, I'm on an airplane or I'm in a hotel room and I'm maybe watching a movie, but want to keep my brain occupied. I'll look at my list. I'll go through, uh, my connections on LinkedIn. I'll go through my connections in my CRM and I'll just look for people I haven't reached out to in a while. Um, and then from a business standpoint, I have my top 200 list and these are 200 people that I've either done business with or want to do business with, and we've connected in some way, so I'm not bugging them when I reach out to them. It's just timing wasn't right or whatever. And then colleagues and stuff. And uh, every month, I try to send something of value to this group. Uh, I'll spend almost a day's worth of time over the course of several days just saying, all right, what is, what is my thing to do this month? You know, what tool do I have? What little, what link can I give? Like a link to this podcast that I'm doing with you. Maybe we'll be one of those, right? And um, how can I reach out with a little bit of value? Uh, and so I do that on a regular basis. And I, I've rekindled some relationships through that and get on the phone with guys I haven't talked to in two or three years and we catch up, right? That's so. nice. So actually every month that 200 list is getting some sort of little, These are, are these short? Messages? Yeah, yeah, they're real short. They're an email. Um, and not everyone on the list necessarily gets everything because it, um, 
it may not apply to them in my relationship with them. Mm-hmm. So one or two months they may get missed. And so maybe they get something every quarter from me. But so I just look through and I have this tool and yeah, it's really short. It's like, Hey, I just did this podcast. I think you and your sales folks will find this helpful. Feel free to share them. Uh, you know, uh, it's mostly business related. Occasionally I'll do a little personal something, uh, which I probably should do more. I'll tell you one thing I used to do. Um, I went all my travels. I've done a, a lot of traveling and I used to, uh, buy postcards wherever I go. I mean, I'd buy up a hundred postcards and on the plane ride home, I'd write them out to all my clients and prospects and all these people. And, and you know, that's one of those things that works so well. I stopped doing it. Right. So <laughs> it's a good reminder. <laughs> yeah, and, and now I can just take a picture. It could be my own photo. I can just send it to print runner or, or whatever these, you know, uh, companies are. And, and next thing I know, I've got a hundred of these and then it, it, it's all automated and I'll just sign them. Right. It's, it's yeah. so easy to do. And so, but that's, that's, I, that's the way I stay in touch with folks. And, you know, John Corcoran has, uh, uh, he was a guest in this show and, and he's pretty savvy on all this stuff. He has his 50 mm. conversations list. Mm. So he makes a list of 50 people for the year. And then he has a, a planner that he designed so every day there's a spot on the planet for a name from that list. So every day in sequential order, he sees a name and he thinks, okay, let me do something for this person. Let me see what they're, what are they up to? I can share their stuff. I can write a review. I can call them and say, Hey, what's going on? Right? Like, and it's just like making those 50 people. So they, every 50 days, which is about every other month, they hear from him, but in a pretty personalized, high touch way. Sure, sure. Yeah. So when I work with my clients, I try to help them think about how to create those, those like very high level touch points. And initially it's, it's 15 minutes twice a week for 90 days because you need to make things a habit. But at some point, right, then you start to, then you see the connections. It's amazing to me, you know, you're, you, I'm sure you would have a hard time imagining this, but I have clients who say, yeah, before I met you, I'd be in a conversation thinking, oh, you know what book they'd like? And then that moment would pass, so I wouldn't offer the book. And then I'd write my follow-up email because I'm supposed to do that. And I go, and would you mention the book? Uh, no. <laughs> I was like, what happens? <laughs> like, I don't know. There you go. Buy the book and mail it to them. Yes. All of that stuff. Yep. It's yep. Just no. that extra next, you know, sometimes it's little steps. Sometimes you make an extra effort. Exactly. Yeah. So what are some other things that we could be doing um, to, to better nurture these relationships to I mean, getting referrals is about people knowing what you're about, right? They know you have a strong enough personal brand that they know how to refer you, but they think of you. They have to think of you in the moment. So how do you stay top of mind? How should I be staying top of mind to make sure people are referring me? Right. So um, I want to uh, step back for just one second and talk about this, this concept of being referable in the first place, if you don't mind. Um, cause what we found is we did a study that, uh, that there's actually a low correlation between client or customer satisfaction and the giving of referrals as much as we want satisfied clients uh, and they, and they're usually pretty loyal. They don't necessarily give referrals to, to create this referability. We have to create engaged clients and by engagement is two things. One is we have, they have to feel engaged with us on the level of value. In other words, they like the work we do. They like the problems we solve, the things we teach, the questions we ask, all the responsive service, right? They like the value side of the relationship. 
but they also feel engaged with us, with who we are as individuals and our mission and our purpose. And, you know, we're likable and we need both of those. And so what we want to do is make sure we stay in touch with people with both of those things in mind, particularly clients, customers, prospects. Um, So for instance, when you bring on a new prospect, a new client into your business or customer, you want to have an onboarding process. You want to onboard them into the business, walk them down the metaphorical red carpet into your business by providing some more value, maybe something unexpected, a book you wrote, you know, something educational, whatever, Uh, checking in with them after they get a statement, whatever it may be. And then you know, other people in the office may be calling that person say, hey, welcome. You know, we're glad you're looking forward to serving you and handwritten notes from everybody, uh, invitation to a client appreciation event, right? Just so we're, we're, we're connecting on that, in, that personal. And the same thing throughout the entire relationship. How do, we, how do we keep staying in touch with our clients on a value level? And how do we stay in touch on kind of a personal level? And so... You know, there was a time, uh, you may be too young to realize this, but there was a time when we actually used uh, written, printed on paper newsletters. Uh, it wasn't all digital. And I, I never forget, I was working with a financial advisor who had an eight, uh, I'm sorry, a four page newsletter, and he had a quarter of, of the newsletter, you know, like one half of one page, uh, devoted to himself, his family his pets, his children, his vacations, whatever it may be, right? What was up in his personal life. And he decided he was going to take that out and put in some stuff on the stock market and investments and whatnot. And when he, when his new, his newsletter started going out, he started getting calls and they say, Doug, where's that part on your family? That's the only part we ever read. <laughs> right. So that's, that's the power of that, of that human engagement and, and, and letting our personality shine through. And a lot of people are, you know, kind of reluctant to do that. They wonder if there's value in it, but there is value. And so that's a little bit on being referable, but how do we stay top of mind? Um, well, part of it is asking and letting people know that we, we, we do, uh, we want, we're on a mission to bring our value to other people. This whole referral stuff, uh, it should be mostly about bringing our value to others. Right, I'd say about seventy percent of when we talk about it, when we ask about it, how can we bring this important process? How can we bring this important knowledge? How can we bring this important product system, whatever, to other people? Right, being being mission based in your business and trying to bring it to other people, and maybe thirty percent could be about the fact that they like you, yeah, and you're a business, and they want to help you too. But most of it's about bringing your value to other people. And so we've got to bring it up from time to time. And we, we sign a note, don't keep us a secret. Right. And, um, and we, and we sometimes have stories that we share of someone who just a new client that came to us through a referral, through an introduction. So we're planting those seeds all along the way. Uh, some, uh, businesses like to create ambassador clubs An ambassador club, uh, is your customers or clients who have engaged in the referral process and you're nurturing them to become advocates for you. So maybe four times a year or twice a year, you have an ambassador club event and you celebrate and you have some fun and, and that sort of thing. This is so, there's like so much here I want to unpack. There was one thing that you could have mentioned quickly. Um, I know as a speaker that one of the sort of things you, you might do to let people know that beyond speaking, you also coach 
is, you know, from the stage, or if you want people to know you wrote a book, you'd say like, oh, and I go into more detail in my book, or here's here's one thing my client experienced. And you're saying that when talking to clients, you might let them know about how you've been referred by other people in order to make the idea of being referred uh, a natural thing that happens (laughs) and a thing that you appreciate and acknowledge. It's it's a culture. Yes. Building a culture of referrals, introductions, valuing that. Here's a very simple thing that anybody can do that's part of that culture. On your outgoing voice message, when you're not available and your voice message goes out to them, you say, you know, it's the proverbial, please leave a message to tone. And if you, were re- re- if you were recommended to us, please let us know who we need to thank. If you were recommended to us, please let us know who we need to thank. What does that do? It just sends the message out to the world that you get recommended. It's part of what you do. You, it's so important that you, have, you actually have it on your outgoing voice message. You thank these people. You celebrate it. That's one of those things that it's part of the culture. Uh, another one is, is giving referrals and making connections for your for clients. You know, maybe your client doesn't own a business, so you're not going to send them prospects, but you can connect them with someone else who can help them with their business, right? So giving is a big part of it too and making connections for others. So all of this goes into the culture. Um, yeah. And introductions. It's so interesting because I can think of how I've used some of these techniques in other ways as I've built other communities. Um, and going back to the piece about printed newsletters, so I'm turning 45 this year. So I do. <laughs> you, I, don't I was brought, look, you don't look that. <laughs> I was brought up stuffing envelopes, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And I think the only thing that my children, you know, you know, the whole Warren Buffett, my children will be deprived of poverty. My children will be deprived of the ability to stuff newsletters. <laughs> Um, because it won't be a thing. But I, I that piece here. about storytelling and, and personal uh, storytelling, my my rhythm with my email newsletter really hit uh, a good stride when I started to tell stories at the beginning of each one. So uh, it's a you know a, a few hundred word story weaves in my life. I talk about my kids sometimes, or things that I went to or saw, or just things I witnessed. I include a challenge for the week so that they have like four bullets of what they could do to like meet a business challenge related to my story. And then I include my links to my podcast and I went to an archived episode, you know, because I know plenty of people are opening them that are not clicking through to listen, <laughs> but they like my, my content piece because it is, like you said, it's a, it's a personal, it's a narrative that people really want to know. I mean, this is the, Going back to the whole people, you know, know, like, and trust and care about, right? Like, this is who we, we've developed. I love this idea of culture around it. So we are wrapping up time here, and I have a question I love. It's like my favorite kind of ending question. So, so Bill, when we're connecting a year from now, and I, I, I'm thrilled to know that I'm going to actually see you in person at, uh, at Influence, which is pretty awesome. But let's say we're connecting a year from now, and we are celebrating all of your success and... Um, just like everything you've accomplished in the previous year, I want to know what we're going to be celebrating. What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? Well, I'll, I'll tell you one thing is, is getting this darn book I'm writing right now finished. Uh, it's called Radical Relevance, Sharpen Your Value Proposition, Cut Through the Noise, and Win More Ideal Clients. And so it's how we talk about our value. I've got a, a chapter in there on uh, the neuroscience of relevance. Uh, neuroscience is a very sexy topic, so I wanted to put that in there. But it's actually very relevant to the book on relevance. 
And um, so I, I, you know, I, I, I've been, let's just say I've been making it a better book by taking some time to write it, <laughs> but now it's time to get it done. Uh, so we're getting close to getting it to the editor, uh, knock on wood. So yeah, we're going to be celebrating the fact that the book came out and um, with a successful launch and it's helped a lot of people. Uh, and maybe I've made a few dollars in the process. So that's a big part of it. And then um, I'm engaged to be married. So uh, we haven't set a date yet. We're still working on a few things, but maybe that one will be, uh, I don't want to make it sound cold, checked off. That's the wrong way to talk about it. But that will be accomplished <laughs> uh, within a year's time as well. So kind of one business and one personal. Yeah, well, we will definitely celebrate both of those things. Like a successful book launch, supporting all these people and and congratulations on your upcoming nuptials. So um, how can people best find you and follow your work, Bill? Sure. Well, referralcoach.com is the is the website, referralcoach.com. And it's Bill Cates with a C, not Bill Gates. I know that some people did a double take and they thought, how did Robbie get Bill Gates to be on this his podcast? But it's uh, you could even do billcates.com and that'll take you to the same place. Uh, and you'll see that there are places there to reach out to me. And I, I'm very accessible. I like to talk to people. I like to engage, uh, you know, usually through an email. And then we'll, then we'll figure out if it makes sense to pick up the phone. But that's the best way to get started. That's brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. You bet. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Bill. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share it resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 155. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as over 150 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which were your favorites. Have you been thinking about working with me? Not ready to commit to a six-month or longer program? Send me an email to ask me about the More Fundamentals, a three-month program that gets you the information you need to take your business to the next level through relationship-based business strategies and gives you the access to the community that will support you. My email is robbie at robbysamuels.com. I'm also accepting just one or two more one-on-one -on -one coaching clients. If that sounds intriguing, please reach out. I'd love to hear your story. If you enjoyed this episode, with Bill, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review in Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and I look forward to connecting again next week. I'll be interviewing another town professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming a successful leader. Until then, have an awesome week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.